views expressed on this episode of Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions with Chris Schroeder do not necessarily reflect those of KHLT Recovery Broadcasting or our affiliates. KHLT is not affiliated with any particular 12-step fellowship. Now here's those two guys who investigate prior to contempt, Chris and the Monty Man. Well, welcome back, my friends, uh, to uh, Take12Radio.com. On your internet dial, broadcasting to you from KHLT Recovery Broadcasting in the swamps of beautiful Albany, Oregon. Welcome to Walking Through the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions with your co-host, Chris Schroeder, who's really... uh, He's really facilitating this thing, and and you and I are listening and learning and growing, and we so much appreciate it. Hello there, Chris. Monty, how are you doing this week? Uh, Doing good, getting ready for the the holidays to uh, blossom and uh, mature into whatever that's going to (laughs) be. When you you still have kids, um, it's still a wondrous thing, and I hope it always stays that way, especially knowing what it's really all about, but... Yeah, get, get. you know to speak quickly about uh, about Christmas. Uh, you know the the thing about um, about alcoholism and drug addiction treatment, and we've we, we've talked about this over and over and over again. Uh, is the answer really to to the problem is spiritual living, uh, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, mm. having spiritual experiences along the way. You know when I when I think back about my my personal spirituality. I can remember being a kid, Monty, and tell me if this wasn't true for you. Being a kid and Christmas time would start to come. And sometime right after Thanksgiving, all of a sudden, your whole perspective and the whole atmosphere would be about Christmas. Sure. And, and, and you know, the warm, wonderful feelings uh, that 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 brings about and sometimes the the selfishness like i'm going to get some presents but but uh, the the caroling and the uh you know the additional church services uh, it was just an incredibly spiritual time and thinking about um, alcoholism and addiction needing uh needing uh, the, the the person who suffers from that needing to have a spiritual experience to have uh to, to be practicing the spiritual life, uh, this is still a special time of year for me, although not quite as special as when I was a child. Sure, sure, absolutely. And this is one of the reasons, you know, I joke about it with people that, that say, oh, it's all commercialized and everything. I, I say, look, it, the only difference between commercialization and marketing this time of year than any other time of year is you've got music, you've got lights, and the prices are cheaper. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so quit complaining. <laughs> it's it's true, but you know, as we move into step three, uh, make a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of God as you understand Him. Some of that comfort, some of that warm feeling that you had, uh, you know, when Christmas season was coming upon you as a child. Uh, that's some of the that's that's some of the stuff that you can expect when you uh, when you live a spiritual life. Some of that. Some, some of that gratitude and some of that 
spiritual comfort. Right, right. So anyway, we talked. Uh, we talked uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, we certainly talked about step one. Uh, step one: the importance of understanding and fully integrating step one into your own personal uh, experience and truth cannot be overemphasized. It is so important. I've I've never seen virtue have enough horsepower to get somebody through the steps. It always has to be uh, it always has to be hopelessness that gets somebody through the steps, unfortunately. But step one is where where we we recognize that hopeful uh, hopelessness, and we uh, we understand uh, what defeat is and what surrender looks like, and we need to fully concede to our innermost selves that we're an alcoholic uh, or we're a drug addict, and we can't manage uh, manage our, our own affairs. So. Then in step two, it's, well, if there's no power, if you're powerless, if, if no human power can relieve you of uh, this obsession, uh, obviously people are surviving. <laughs> people are populating the 12-step groups. Uh, there must be some kind of an answer. And in the 12-step fellowships, the answer is a power greater than ourselves. Uh, the consciousness of the presence of God. To broaden and deepen one's relationship with God to seek through prayer and meditation uh, to improve our conscious connection to God. And that's really what, uh, what we need to start to, uh, start to, uh, to take in when we approach step two, that there's a power greater than ourselves. There's, a, there's an interventionary power that we can align ourselves with through right action, right living, right attitude. We can uh, properly relate ourselves uh, to the spiritual path, thereby uh, making the spiritual experience um, uh, easier to happen. And we come to believe that in step two, now uh, there's no real place for us to go uh, except step three, which is to, um, to make a decision to seek that power. To seek that power like the drowning seizes a life preserver, mm-hmm. although some of us take it piecemeal at first, as Bill talks about in these steps. So you know we don't we don't go you know rushing through the doors uh, of the church, uh, you know saying saying you know uh, I'm ready I'm ready. Sometimes we go grudgingly, sure. Uh, but we need to we need to make a beginning, uh, and uh, many of us, uh, myself included, made a very slow beginning, uh, but. Uh, but it picked up momentum as I recognized the fact that there, there was a power working in my life, and that power was, uh, uh, was, was keeping me separated from alcohol and improving every bit of quality of my life as long as I tried to rightly relate myself to that power. Does that make any sense, Monty? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Complete sense. Okay. Well, might as well start reading then. Uh, step three. This is on page 34 of the 12 by 12 made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Practicing step three is like the opening of a door, which to all appearances is still closed and locked. All we need is a key and the decision to swing the door open. There is only one key, and it is called willingness. Once unlocked by willingness, the door opens almost of itself, and looking through it, we shall see a pathway besides which is an inscription. It reads, this is the way to a faith that works. In the first two steps, we were engaged in reflection. We saw that we were powerless over alcohol, but we also perceived that faith of some kind 
if only in AA itself, is possible to anyone. These conclusions did not require action, they required only acceptance. Like all the remaining steps, step three calls for affirmative action, for it is only by action that we can cut away the self-will, which has always blocked us, uh, the entry of God, or if you like, a higher power, into our lives. You know, Bill Wilson was so intuitive, so perceptive. He understands absolutely what our problem is, Monty, and it's our self-will, our selfishness, our self-involvement, our self-seeking. When, when we have a life, the, the, the foundation of which is built on self-will, it is going to be very, very difficult to seek a spiritual solution. It's going to be difficult to align ourselves to a power greater than ourselves because we're so self-willed. So these steps, the action in these steps, the primary purpose of these actions is to cut away the self-will that blocks the entry of God into our lives. Let me, let me ask you something. Um, I just realized this today. It's the first time I've thought about this. Um, I was... I was at a fellowship last night, and a gentleman said in, uh, in, in step two in the 12 by 12, it, it says, um, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. He said, it doesn't say we came to a faith, but in step three, it does say that. It, it, it says, uh, this, is, this is the way to a faith that works. Um, to many, I think there'd be a, there's a difference there, isn't there? Oh, there sure is. And, yeah. you, you know, uh, I think sometimes we have to start with believing, Yep. and then faith happens. I, I'll tell a little story that, that, uh, uh, that I use when I'm working with somebody to explain to them the difference between belief and faith. Bonnie, let's say you move to a new town in, uh, in Oregon out there where you live, and your car is giving you trouble. Now, right down the road from where you've moved is a garage, uh, an auto repair garage. Now, you, you can believe that if you take your car there, they can fix it. You can believe that. But after you actually take your car there and they fix it, and it's running better than it's, you can ever remember it running in your life, from now on, you'll have faith that they can fix your car because you've got some experience. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, it's like the difference between knowing something and just uh, assuming that it, it it it'll happen. Yeah, yeah. I I can believe that God can heal me, but I know God can heal me now, and that's the difference between belief and faith. Mm. You know, it's yeah. it's an actuality. It's an experiential understanding that I have. I have felt the power. Uh, the power has worked in and through me for many years. I don't believe anymore. I know, and I think I think we start with belief and we move into uh, a very very strong faith. If we if we practice these principles in our lives, they we're going to develop a relationship with God, and we are going to have this faith because it's just going to time and time again we're going to we're going to be moved through challenges in our life with this power. Yeah. Makes total sense. Yeah. Thank you. Faith, to be sure, is necessary, but faith alone can avail nothing. We can have faith, yet keep God out of our lives. Therefore, our problem now becomes just how and by what specific means shall we be able to let him in. Step three represents our first attempt to do this. 
In fact, the effectiveness of the whole AA program will rest upon how well and how earnestly we have tried to come to a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand Him. Now, one of the things you hear a lot of times uh, from spiritual advisors, uh, Monty, is this, uh, that you just make a decision to turn your will and your life over. It doesn't say that you turn your will and your life over to the care of God. But I'll tell you, I'll tell a little story that shows the difference in what this really is, okay? Okay. A, a, a chicken and a pig are walking down the road one day, and they see a sign on the side of the road that says, help feed the poor. And the chicken looks over at the pig and goes, hey, hey, pig, let's do that. Let's help feed the poor. And the pig looks at the chicken and says, well, how are we going to do that? And the chicken says back to the pig, well, we can feed them ham and eggs. <laughs> the pig goes, listen, it's, it's just a, a simple decision for you to lay some eggs. This is a full commitment to me. I have to give up my life to do this. And that's really what we're looking at. When, you, when it's just a simple decision... That's one thing, but it needs to be followed with that commitment to give our lives to it. Amen. Make any sense? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So we can only be the chicken so long, Monty. Yeah, that only works for a while. It only works for a while. To every worldly and practical-minded beginner, this step looks hard, even impossible. No matter how much one wishes to try, exactly how can he turn his will and his own life over to the care of whatever God he thinks there is? Fortunately, we who have tried it and with equal misgivings can testify that anyone, anyone at all, can begin to do it. We can further add that a beginning, even the smallest, is all that is needed. Once we have placed the key of willingness in the lock and have the door ever so slightly open, we find that we can always open it some more. Though self-will may slam it shut again, as it frequently does, it will always respond the moment we again pick up the key of willingness. And this is really true. This is the mercy of God, Monty. We don't have to do this per perfectly. We, we, don't, we, don't, we don't necessarily get graded A, B, C, and D. We get a pass-fail on willingness. And if we have enough willingness, if we, if we can remain open-minded and continue to try to practice spiritual principles, that's all that's needed. The power of God will become manifest. Mm -hmm. if we show that amount of willingness. Mm -hmm. Maybe this all sounds mysterious and remote, something like Einstein's theory of relativity or a proposition in nuclear physics. It isn't at all. Let's look at how practical it actually is. Every man and woman who has joined AA and intends to stick has, without realizing it, made a beginning on step three. Isn't it true that in all matters touching upon alcohol, each of them has decided to turn his or her life over to the care, protection, and guidance of Alcoholics Anonymous? Already a willingness has been achieved to cast out one's own will and one's own ideas about the alcohol problem in favor of those suggested by AA. Any willing newcomer feels sure AA is the only safe harbor for the foundering vessel he has become. Now, if this is not turning one's will and life over to newfound providence, then what is it? But suppose that instinct still cries out as it certainly will. Yes, respecting alcohol, I guess I have to be dependent upon AA. But in all other matters, I must still maintain my independence. Nothing is going to turn me into a non-entity. 
If I keep turning my life and my will over to the care of something or somebody else, what will become of me? I'll look like the hole in the donut. <laughs> this, of course, is the process by which instinct and logic always seek to bolster egotism and so frustrate spiritual development. Let's look at that sentence just r- real carefully, because this is, this is a, what, what I call a drunk trap. Bill, Bill Wilson will always puts these little drunk traps, how to escape the drunk traps in here. Uh, so if we think that by, by turning our will and our lives over to the care of God, Monty, or becoming spiritual, this will somehow, somehow take away the unique, character, unique and wonderful characteristics of us as a human concern. <laughs> if that's what we think, if, if you know, all of a sudden I become religious or something, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become this boring non-entity, the hole in the donut. What Bill is saying is when we start to think about that, this is the process by which instinct and logic seek to bolster ecotism so, and so frustrate development. So those are our instincts. Our, our, our ego is crying out in defense because the ego knows that spirituality is going to decrease the ego's power. So the ego wants to fight against spirituality. So we will come up with bizarre reasons why we're atheists or we're agnostic or all this God stuff is overblown. We'll, we'll come up with reasoning like that. And Bill is using very early 1950s psychology to talk about that being uh, uh, instinct and logic, uh, bolstering egotism. Hmm. The trouble is that this kind of thinking takes no real account of the facts. And the facts seem to be these. The more we become willing to depend upon a higher power, the more independent we actually are. The great thing about, about 12-step recovery, Monty, is they care about results. They don't care about opinions. They don't care about theories. The greatest question a sponsor or a spiritual advisor can ask you is, How's that working for you? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. How's, how's that? Oh, that's, that's what you think of spirituality? That's what you think of religion? Uh, how's that working for you? <laughs> you know? Yep. It, it's yep. like when you start to practice these, these, these principles, these recovery principles, your life starts to get better. You know, that's what happens. When you do it your own way, it gets worse. And, and you know, unfortunately, in the, in, the, in the support fellowships, they care more about uh, results than they care about opinions. Well, you know, if you, and if you look at it, even if you want to look at logically, in our logic thinking, um, the, the, the more we have, just in our daily living, the more healthy boundaries we have, uh, the more guidance we have um, from people who are uh, maybe more experienced than we are in uh, in maybe auto mechanics or raising kids or basic life principles, the more of that stuff we have that can look like it's limiting us, the freer we actually become. You know that's that's true. You know the offer. The only scoffers at prayer are those who haven't tried it enough. Is is another is another uh, saying of Bill's. From, uh, from the big book. And that's true. Why don't you just try this and pay attention to the results? You know, mm-hmm. resign from the debating society. Try these principles on for size. If they don't work in three months or six months, you know, come back and tell me they're not working. That's fine. But at least give these principles a chance. Because if you are alcoholic, they always work. Therefore, dependence, as AA practices it, 
is really a means of gaining true independence of spirit. Let's, exact, uh, let's examine for a moment this idea of dependence at the level of everyday living. In this area, it is startling to discover how dependent we really are and how unconscious of that dependence. Every modern house has electric wiring carrying power and light to its interior. We are delighted with this dependence. Our main hope is that nothing will ever cut off the supply of current. By so accepting our dependence upon this marvel of science, we find ourselves more independent personally. Not only are we more independent, we are even more comfortable and secure. Power just flows where, uh, just flows where it is needed. Silently and surely, electricity, that strange energy so few people understand, meets our simplest daily needs, our most desperate ones too. Ask the polio sufferer confined to an iron lung who depends with complete trust upon a motor to keep the breath of life in him. What a wonderful analogy. Let's, let's look at it this way. Let's look at it this way, uh, Monty. When you come into your studio and you're about to do a show, and you turn the switch on. Now, if you know you've paid your electricity bill, you know that light is going to go on, don't you? It's, yes. It's not even a conscious thought. It's, it's, it's an automatic flip the switch. The Absolutely. The light is going to come on. You bet. Yet, yet, we will get challenged in our lives one more time, and our sponsor or our spiritual advisor will say, have you prayed about it? And, and even though when we've prayed about things 200 times and they've gotten better, we will, we will still question, you know, our, our, here are our sponsors asking us to pray again. You know, I, I know prayer has worked the last 200 times I've tried it, but this time, this time I'm not really sure it'll work. It, it's, that, it, it's that question of faith. It's bizarre. That's what that, I love. That, that we don't have the type of faith that we would have when we flip a light switch. Right. So often we don't. And, and that's, that's what I love about the, the chapter We Agnostics. And we've talked about this before. Um, you know, I, I have, uh, uh, you and I have, have a belief in God that I would say that, that uh, we're, we have faith, not just a belief, because we absolutely know that it works. Um, but yet, let's take finances, for instance. Uh, you know, I can't tell you how many times God has come through 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 working through other people and and and, uh, and folks and circumstances where our finances have been met. And yet, when we come up to a a place where, um, you know, we don't know if we're going to keep our our garbage service, we don't know if our electricity bill is going to be paid. We don't. We just. I mean, everything in our in our logic says it's not going to happen. And then it happens. And between the time that we think it's not going to happen, and when it happens, we have become very agnostic. We doubt it. We're not. We don't believe it. And yet, last month, everything worked out just fine, just like the month before, and the month before, and the month before. That is seems to be a, a human uh, characteristic that just baffles me. It, you know, it, it is. It's it's kind of crazy, but that's kind of the nature of faith. It always needs to be renewed. We always yeah. need to work for it. Uh, and, and, you know, the alcoholic is, is usually belligerent, is usually obstinate, <laughs> is usually <laughs> opinionated, and sometimes this is a real real tricky point for them, you know, to, to, to be able to start to believe and to work toward that faith. But it's absolutely necessary. You know, I, I, I understand at a very, very deep level, Monty, powerlessness, and that no human power 
can relieve me of, of uh, my alcoholism. I, I understand that at a very deep level because I've experienced now, maybe some other people, you know, might not, not have gone down the scale that far. They, it might not be in their experience that they were 100% totally powerless, but it was in mine. And, and I, I have to tell you that, you know, today I, I know that there is a power greater than myself. That power uh, has worked in and through me to keep me safe and protected from alcohol, uh, to keep me separated, and enabled uh, enabled my life to start uh, heading in the right direction to the point where I have an extraordinary life today. You know, and it's 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 when I was running everything, when I was using my mind uh, to run everything instead of uh, opening myself up to the spirit. Uh, I was I was doing a right mess of it, is what I was doing. Yeah, yeah, me too, buddy. Ditto. <laughs> But the moment our mental or emotional independence is in question, how differently we behave, how persistently we claim the right to decide all by ourselves just what we shall think and just how we shall act. Oh, yes, we'll weigh the pros and cons of every problem. We'll listen politely to those who would advise us. But all the decisions are to be ours alone. Nobody is going to meddle with our personal independence in such matters. Besides, we think, there is no one we can surely trust. We are certain that our intelligence, backed by willpower, and rightly control our inner lives and guarantee us success in the world we live in. How's that working for you? <laughs> <laughs> this brave philosophy wherein each man plays God sounds good in the speaking, but it, it still has uh, to meet the acid test. How well does it actually work? Yeah. One good look in the mirror ought to be answer enough for any alcoholic. Should his own image in the mirror be too awful to contemplate, and it usually is, he might first take a look at the results normal people are getting from self-sufficiency. Everywhere he sees people filled with anger and fear, society breaking up into warring fragments. Each fragment says to the others, we are right and you are wrong. Every such pressure group, if it is strong enough, self-righteously imposes its will upon the rest. And everywhere the same thing is being done on an individual basis. The sum of all this effort, uh, uh, mighty effort, is less peace and less brotherhood than before. The philosophy of self-sufficiency is not paying off. Plainly enough, it is a bone-crushing juggernaut whose final achievement is ruin, especially for an alcoholic. Mm. Therefore, we who are alcoholics can consider ourselves fortunate indeed. Each of us has had his own near-fatal encounter with the juggernaut of self-will and has suffered enough under its weight to be willing to look for something better. So it is by circumstance rather than by any virtue that we have been driven to AA have admitted defeat, have, have acquired the rudiments of faith, and now want to make a decision to turn our will and our lives over to a higher power. We realize that the word dependence is as distasteful to many psychiatrists and psychologists as it is to alcoholics. Like our professional friends, we too are aware that there are wrong forms of dependence. We have experienced many of them. No adult man or woman, for example, should be in too much emotional dependence upon a parent. They should have been weaned long before, and if they have not been, they should wake up to the fact. The very form of faulty dependence has caused many a rebellious alcoholic to conclude that dependence of any sort must be intolerably damaging. But dependence upon an AA group or upon a higher power hasn't produced any baleful results. Um, it's absolutely true. You know, um, many people who suffer from addictive illness and alcoholism, Monty, 
um, will show up at the support groups, uh, you know, whichever ones they might be. And a lot of times they will throw themselves into it. I mean, a meeting every day, a sponsor, a home group, commitments, you know, going out to the jails and the institutions. I mean, they buy into it 100% full force. Uh, they, they spend 20 hours a week, you know, on recovery-related activities. Now, if you're a gambling man, you can bet. You can bet on those people to stay clean and to stay sober as long as their participation level remains high. Now, a lot of those people, a lot of those people will develop a faith, a really strong faith. So when they back down from that 20 hours a week or whatever, if they do, if they if they're not going to a meeting every night, if, you know, they're getting on about the business of their life in other ways, they'll still have a very, very solid spirituality, a very solid program the people who have worked the steps. The people who never get to the steps, who just become meeting-reliant and service-reliant, when the time comes when they back away from meetings or they back away from service, they'll relapse. You know, so the difference I see is not in, uh, uh, not in the quantity of faith, but in the quality. And the quality of faith comes through working a 12-step program in your life. So th- this is where the, the um, we talk about, uh, here, in, here in Albany, uh, we talk a lot about the, um, uh, what, what's the word I, I'm thinking about? Um, uh, the altruistic thing. Yes. Um, where that can actually become dangerous because we're depending on the service work. Um, and not on God. We don't have a faith. We haven't turned our will and our lives over to God. We haven't worked the 12 steps. But by golly, we've done one and two, and now we're out in the jails and we're, we're helping people. We've got sponsees and all that kind of stuff. Um, and we're depending on human power um, through that altruistic attitude, through that I'm helping, I'm helping, I'm helping. Yeah, you, you know, there's a difference between activity and action when you're looking at... Um, uh, the recovery work. Activity can be running around and, and doing all that stuff, going to all the all those meetings, you know, going to the diner afterward, you know, uh, sober softball. All that is, is activity. The action that the program promises will bring about recovery are the, are inherent in the twelve steps. Not, you know, you know, running around making you know, being the cookie guy. Yeah. <laughs> not that that's a bad thing. I'm no. not, you know, I'm not going to knock being the cookie guy, Monty. We all need cookies. But uh you you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, that. you bet. When World War II broke out, the spiritual principle had its first major test. AAs entered the services and were scattered all over the world. Would they be able to take discipline, stand up under fire and endure the monotony and misery of war? Would the kind of dependence they had learned in AA carry them through? Well, it did. They had even fewer alcoholic lapses or emotional binges than AA's safe at home did. They were just as capable of endurance and valor as any other soldiers. Whether in Alaska or on the Salerno beachhead, their dependence upon a higher power worked. And far from being a weakness, this dependence was their chief source of strength. Meeting makers make it. What, what about these guys in <laughs> World War II, Monty? You know, it's funny. Meetings to go to. They were practicing spiritual principles. 
That's it, how they were staying sober. It's it's so funny because because uh, uh, Mason just handed me a note right when you said that. It said, "Reminds me of meeting makers make it, but I can't always make it to a meeting." <laughs> Boy, that was perfect it, timing. You know, yeah, you know, you're listen, right. Listen, I blame I blame New York. I blame General Service on this on this attitude that uh, that the treatment for alcoholism is meeting attendance. They 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 they've so heavily promoted. Uh, uh, fellowship, you know, uh, and so ha- so has so has all of the other twelve step fellowships has so promoted fellowship, and and uh, and it's it's almost like the foundational literature talks about the steps, and we have moved on. When when in, when in mm. actual fact, the people who are in real trouble with alcoholism, the people who are re- in real trouble with drugs. They are not going to be able to stay clean. They're not going to be able to stay sober. Go into a thousand meetings a week, uh, if, if, if you know, uh, because what's going to happen is something's going to interrupt that. <laughs> you know, yeah. life interrupts things. Sure. And if if they're staying, if they're just staying sober on meeting attendance, uh, that's you know, they're, they're not going to make it. Meeting makers don't make it, Monty. How many, you know, listen. People share themselves right out of twelve-step uh, fellowships every day. Yeah. Uh, you know, they 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 do ninety and nineties and share their way right out the door every day. Yeah, you, More, you, you know, bet. hundreds of people every day. And, and this guy that's gone off to war are these are are, uh, are the uh, well? Here's a perfect example. Is is it called the loners meetings? The loners group? Yeah, yeah. Um, these guys show up at the the, the world conventions. Um, and there's a table, and most of them have never met each other face to face. They're 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 at a weather station in Alaska somewhere, or they're they're at war someplace, or they're they're totally isolated. And they have uh, a big book. Uh, they have some direction, but they have no contact with people like we are talking about getting t- together sometimes once, twice, three times a day in meetings. They don't have that. So when when uh, parts of communist China broke up AA meetings because they wouldn't even allow them to say higher power. Let alone God. Did those people go out and drink? Listen, it, it was they learned in the Oxford group before AA was even around. They learned that spiritual living was was uh, the solution for alcoholism yeah. and, uh, and and drug addiction. That's what it is. You know, uh, so many people today want you to believe that it's your adherence to specific meetings and meeting attendance, uh, and you know that's a very good thing. It's a support group. It's supporting you, but you have to undergo the recovery process. You, you alone must do it, but you can't do it alone. One of those paradoxes of recovery. Right. Uh, you know, you use the support fellowship to, to, to keep you up while you uh, are about the business of recovery. Amen. <laughs> so how exactly could the willing person continue to turn his will and his life over to the higher power? He made a beginning, we have seen, when he commenced to rely upon AA for the solution of his alcohol problem. By now, though, the chances are that he has become convinced that he has more problems than alcohol, and that some of these uh, uh, some of these refuse to be solved by all the sheer personal determination and courage he can muster. They simply will not budge. They make him desperately unhappy and threaten his newfound sobriety. Our friend is still victimized by remorse and guilt when he thinks of yesterday. Bitterness still overpowers him when he broods uh, upon those uh, he still envies or hates. His financial insecurity worries him sick, and panic takes over when he thinks of all the bridges to safety that alcohol burned behind him. 
And how shall he ever straighten out that awful jam that cost him the affection of his family and separated him from them? His lone courage and unaided will cannot do it. Surely he must now depend upon somebody or something else. At first, that somebody is likely to be his closest AA friend. He relies upon the assurance that his many troubles, now made more uh, acute because he cannot use alcohol to kill the pain, can be solved too. Of course, the sponsor points out that our friend's life is still unmanageable, even though he is sober, that after all, only a bare start on AA's program has been made. More sobriety brought about by the admission of alcoholism and by the attendance at a few meetings is a very good indeed, but it is bound to be a far cry from permanent sobriety and a contented, useful life. I love that sentence. Mm. That is just where the remaining steps of the AA program come in. Nothing short of continuous action upon these as a way of life can bring the much-desired result. You know, how about the next uh, next support group that you're at, Monty? You bring that up as a topic. <laughs> nothing, nothing short of continuous action upon the 12 steps uh, as a way of life can bring any results. <laughs> yeah, that'll make you popular, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, like you aren't already. <laughs> I know. <laughs> then it is explained that other uh, that other steps of the AA program can be practiced with success only when step three is given a determined and persistent trial. This statement may surprise newcomers who have experienced nothing but constant deflation and a growing conviction that human will is of no value whatever. They have become persuaded, and rightly so, that many problems besides alcohol will not yield to a headlong assault powered by the individual alone. How many times did we try to power our way through alcoholism or addiction, Monty? Mm-hmm. Just, just, just trying to put the plug in the jug. Yeah. Now it appears that there are certain things which only the individual can do. All by himself and in the light of his own circumstances, he needs to develop the quality of willingness. When he acquires willingness, he, he is the only one who can make the decision to exert himself. Trying to do this is an act of his own will. All of the 12 steps require sustained and personal exertion to conform to their principles, and so we trust the God's will. So, listen, it's not easy. We, you know, we need, to, we need to be persistent with it. It is when we try to make our will conform with God's that we begin to use it rightly. To all of us, this was a most wonderful revelation. Our whole trouble had been the misuse of willpower including our alcoholism money. Mm. We had tried to bombard our problems with it instead of attempting to bring it into agreement with God's intention for us. To make this increasingly possible is the purpose of AA's 12 steps, and step three opens the door. Once we have come into agreement with these ideas, it is really easy to begin the practice of step three. In all times of emotional disturbance or indecision, we can pause, ask for quiet, And in the stillness, simply say, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Wow. You know, and we've talked about this before, that when Bill puts something in italics, he's saying, listen really close to this. This is important. This This is life and death, absolutely. And he says, our whole trouble had been the use of willpower. Uh, in other areas, he says, our, our, our problem was selfishness and self-centeredness. You know, um, that certainly is the misuse of our, of our willpower. 
We had tried to bombard our problems with it instead of attempting to bring it into agreement with God's intention for us. That is a powerful statement. And unless we... living, Monty, really is just trying to live as we believe God would want us to live. To make an effort, and listen, we, you know, as human beings, you know this as well as I do, we are going to fall short in word, thought, and deed yep. every single day. Yep. We're going to get up in five minutes after getting up, we're going to sin three or four times, you know? We're, we're just not perfect people, but I think what, what, what makes us spiritual people is recognizing, recognizing our character defects and applying the recovery tools to them. And that really is what the rest of the 12 steps really are about. Hmm. Boy, some really, really, really good stuff to chew on. Um, uh, there, there's uh, What's really interesting about this for me, and this may be happening to some of you, um, but I uh, attend the 12-step uh, fellowship where um, we are one step behind this workshop. So I, I, I hear what you're sharing. I'm soaking that in, and then I hear what's happening in in this particular fellowship. And uh, Mason and I were joking about it earlier. Uh, he says, "So you get to cheat, see? <laughs> so you know, I, I it's really easy for for my my flesh to rear up, my polished flesh, right, to re- to rear up and 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 uh, uh, you know look smarter than somebody else. And I have to watch. I have to watch that to tell you the truth. But I really love this because. When we really study this stuff, when we really uh, pull this stuff apart and, 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 and learn to apply it and implement it in our lives and not just read it at a book reading, because most of these, these, these so-called book studies are book readings. They're not studies. You know, people will, will read a piece and then they'll share about how it applies to them in their daily life or something like that, you know. Um, so it's, this is exciting for me to be doing this workshop with you, just like when we did the uh, Walking to the Big Book. It is digging in to the meat. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's time for many of us to wean off the milk and start eating the meat. Um, because if we don't, if we just stay on milk through our whole recovery, I mean, our chances of relapse are pretty strong, wouldn't you say? Well, for, for the alcoholic or the addict, we really have no choice. You know, as, as a normal person, someone who doesn't uh, suffer from addictive illness, you can, you can get by and you can survive not developing a relationship with God. You're, you're yeah. not going to be very happy, but, you, you know, you can live to a, to a fine old age. We don't have that. We don't have that. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we don't. We, you know, we we don't have that option, money. We, we're either going to live by spiritual principles or die by alcohol or drugs. Right. Amen. Well, another great uh, show. Another great workshop. Uh, next week, folks. Step four: made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Look out! Look out! Yeah, that could be trouble. Yeah, it could be. All right. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next week. Okay.